In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. gentlemen welcome back to the true life podcast we are here with the one and only hildreth a scientist an inventor an educator he has played a pretty awesome role it seems like in keeping some psychedelics off the schedule one list david thank you for your role in that and um i'm excited that you're here with me today my friend and i'm i'm excited to talk to you about about what's going on man so Maybe, is there anything I left out in the introduction that you can maybe fill people in with? Oh, I mean, previously was a journalist as well. And so having the the, the goal of sharing information, uh, so that I guess would be another part of it's lent into why I'm so keen on sharing information and interacting with the government. Yeah, it's an important role. I think I left out too that you're also the CEO and owner of Panacea Plants and uh, Zeus Farms. Am I saying that part right, or am I mispronouncing? Yeah, that's my wife's maiden name, and they're ger- they were German Jewish farmers who and sweet makers who relocated to the United States and operated farms in Southern California. And so, whenever we started the hemp company, I named it for my wife's family because uh, to honor their family history was part of it as well. So, uh, don't worry about the pronunciation. You actually got it correct, which is rare. I'm I'm one and one then. I'm one and one. Um, so. I wanted to maybe start out a little bit like I think you also hold some patents, but can you tell us a little bit about Panacea Farms? It seems like you have a whole lot of things going on there. Yeah, it's uh, Panacea Plant Sciences and what we're, I mean, essentially it's a research company researching uh, psychedelic medicines and cannabis and other medicines, but also the cultivation, the methods of increasing the yields and other things. And in that we have patents that have been granted for methods to increase the yields of cannabinoids and terpenes and other compounds in, in the plant by with various like applications of phytohormones. And then we've done similar experiments and have patents filed for some things, but in so or the same concepts, I should say, but in uh, mushrooms and psilocy- for psilocybin and in, like 
and Lafafora and cacti and ibogaine containing plants and so forth uh, as well. And so, but then also on the formulations, um, which uh, there's a lot to get into there. So I'll, I'll like, we'll see which, how, which, how deep to get as we go. Yeah, that's super exciting. It's super exciting. I, I kind of just want to jump into this. I was going to ask this question a little bit later. However, I'm having a difficult time keeping my curiosity down. So I'll just ask you now, do you see, like you've been around the cannabis industry for a while and I have learned that anybody who has the ability to understand how to extract compounds and to increase yields and really knows their way around cannabis. I'm curious if, do you think maybe that's what's going to happen in the world of psychedelics too? Like in my mind, I see this idea of using blends of different kinds of mushrooms or maybe different strains could be used for different types of ailments or they could be used for different types of optimization the same way the different strains of cannabis can. Like, Do you see maybe the same thing burgeoning in the world of psychedelics as that would happen with cannabis in the beginning? In terms of the science on how these items work yeah so for example essentially it's just a in terms of that it's uh the entourage effect again and so just to use psilocybin mushrooms as an example is that uh psilocybin mushrooms have psilocybin psilocin baocystin norbaocystin norcilocin uh they also then and so that's just the tryptamines and, and then argaeosin and that's just the common ones and so like that's like when you compare to thc and cannabinoids that's like when we knew about just cbg and thc and cbc like those first five and that's like nothing now you know that but and so it's like similar but then it's beyond that is that there's also uh maois so like monooxide like uh harmala compounds which are you know used for ayahuasca and so for dmt it can't be your stomach breaks it down I don't know if you know that, but you're, you have monooxide in your stomach and it blocks your body from metabolizing certain drugs because there's actually a lot of things in nature that'll get you, I don't know if high is the right word, but not normal and, or poison you. And so your body's like has to filter that out. So DMT can't make it through your stomach. So technically, or your liver and you know, all that processing. And so you have to take MEOIs with it. Native of peoples figured that out, combined those two things, why it's why it's two plants for DMT. Interestingly, mushrooms make harmala alkaloids. So they also make the MAOI compounds. So which MAOI compounds are being made in what ratios in which species of mushroom that you're eating or cultivar? Which ratio of those tryptamines? And then getting into the tryptamines, they've shown that when baocystin, or norbaocystin, sorry, by itself, no psychedelic effect. But well, it, I'll get into that. But and then, but when you combine it with psilocin, you know, and psilocybin, you it increases the effect of psilocybin and psilocin, and that's because it's uh, acting. There's well, multiple ways it could be acting. We don't have the complete answer, but it increases it because the way they did the experiment, which is interesting. So, the way we measure a lot of this is mice uh, have what's known as a head twitch response, and it literally means they that it's like kind of twitch and that is exactly correlated generally to the subjective strength of the drugs binding on the same receptor that causes the psychedelic experience. What? Yeah, it's the 5-HT2A receptor. So you buy the more times in a particular genetic variety of mouse, because there's there's different amounts of twitch depending on, the, the, you give this drug to like these 10 different, just like 
plants and pe people, animals have cultivars or genotypes as well. And so that genotype of mouse responds in a predictable way to drugs. And, and so will this rat or this. And so if, if you've given a drug class to a particular animal, you can repeatedly do that. Like in this case, the head twitch response is pretty predictable. And so they use that as a way to like an animal model to be like, does this act on a receptor? It's like a really, it's an interesting way. And so they did that with combining just psilocybin or just norbeocystin or together. And that's how they showed that. And then now we need more data, but like, it's, that's like the, oh, hey, there's something here. That's so awesome, man. You are a wealth of information. I love talking to people that have the understanding that you have. Like that, it doesn't it seem weird that we would use a subjective head twitch to thoroughly understand like, yep, this is working right here. Or this is a pretty, this is a pretty effective, like, this it's is just, it just means it's active on that receptor. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, but we don't, but we can't talk to the mouse. I mean, I, I, mean, I hate to say it that way, but that's so, that's the, that's the issue. And it doesn't mean anything other than right. there's activity on that receptor, right. but it is, it's like, it is funny though. It's like, Hey, Hey, how you feeling? <laughs> But no, it's fun. I mean, I mean, but people to think about is like when we do animal experiments, what do we, what does that mean? Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. Maybe, I'm curious. Like, I think in the world of psychedelics, there may be something said for the experiments to be done in like, in some levels, in some sort of, in some sort of medicinal cultures. Maybe I'm asking my. I'm all excited, my friend. So bear well, with no, me here for a minute. Well, I think why don't you know what you're asking. Ourselves? Like, why don't why don't we take it and then put ourselves in the fMRI and then watch exactly what's happening? Well, so first off, you have to prove these items are safe for humans to take. And although we, they, you know, even though it's right. implied, uh, like it is important in, to do these things and get some of this initial data in regard to that uh, before humans take some of these compounds because some of them aren't from plants because there's also like the compounds we we're talking about from the DA case earlier, those are all not in nature. Well, right. I should say have not yet been found in nature because often in science, what happens is humans create something thinking that we did it first. And then we find the plant or the animal, or the thing that's already done it. And we're like, Oh, Oh, so, so like methyl, methyl atherin, Oh God, it's so hard to pronounce, but it's basically the grape. Like what we think of as like the fake grape flavoring. Mm -hmm. That's actually is in grapes, Concord grapes, <laughs> but it was first discovered and used as an artificial flavoring from petroleum before we found it in grapes. Because once you create something and have the structure, it's easy to find. When <laughs> so it was in something we were eating already. We just didn't know until yeah. later, until science got better. So that's what's always funny to me about humans thinking that we create things. It's like, we, you don't know that nature didn't do it first yet. Yeah, sometimes I wonder if we even have the capacity to create things that haven't been created already. <laughs> the problem is, is lack of or absence of proof isn't proof of absence. Right. <laughs> well, well said. Yeah, I, I in my in my imagination and in if I was looking into a crystal ball, I see a future where we have different kinds of blends that have different kinds of ailments, and you know, I, I but I am not. I wasn't around or in a position like you were when the cannabis industry started moving in the direction that it's moving before. And so I, that's why I was curious to ask you like, wow, what are some similarities? Like, let me just continue down that road. What are some similarities and what are some differences that you, that you can kind of see being on the edge of creation of these two industries? 
I think the similarities have little to do with the actual industry part and more to do with that it's um, people who are seeking use for these things because of medical conditions and the people that are not always all the business people at this point because it's moved past it, but well, there's like different things. So there's the state models and then there's the, so that's the thing is the, um, right. the big, I'll just go to what's different. So that what's okay. different is the key thing because it makes it easier to do the other part. <laughs> uh, this is separating where like it's cannabis. The biggest thing that I think that they messed up in like with hemp in regards to getting things approved as food is that everyone focused on CBD, which is great, but CBD uh, and THC and CBD has already been approved as a drug. So there's all these regulatory uh, problems with getting it approved through the FDA and why it's taking so long. Uh, and, and so, but there's CBG and other cannabinoids and if people had done the gender regarded to safe studies and other things for that, that would have already been put into sale for food approved by the FDA and done. Uh, and could have been done much easier. Uh, and I think, and so I think, and, but because those things didn't happen in cannabis, you end up in a situation where, because there are pathways to getting things approved uh, for, for medicines, for foods, cannabis tried to go around it. Like, and like, yes, I agree. It just shouldn't be scared, all these things, but you can fight the system or you can fight the system and work it at the same time and like get some shit done and maybe have transformational change. But if you just focus on one of the two, then you leave the other to the giant corporations and people who have different goals. So cannabis was really bad at that because it's a counterculture thing. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. <laughs> I mean, uh, and so then what happens is you end up with that situation. So in psychedelics, there's been this uh, noticing of that. And then you had people with like, um, oh my gosh, my brain right now. Uh, Strassman, I believe, Rick Strassman, that did yeah. the spirit molecule and got the first DEA approval to do human experimentation on uh, with psychedelics, and to do the first trial and got the first FDA license for or first DEA license for Schedule One for those things. Uh, and so that, to me, was like the step where the psychedelics were like, "Oh, we're just gonna like we can't. We, the government will let us do this if we just do it right." Like, and so you can like participate in the system. And it's not always great. And I fight the DA in court and, you know, at the same time while, but you don't, it doesn't have to be one or the other to me. You like, and so you can, uh, and so what's happening with psychedelics though is that you're ending up in a situation where, because any legal item, you can get DEA licenses to study it. And then that means corporations are doing that. And then they can then get a drug approved. And then you can end up in a situation where what happens is just because the FDA approves a drug, it doesn't mean that all of that drug is unscheduled now. So if, if one of these companies gets psilocybin approved as a therapy, what will actually happen is that once it's approved as a therapy, then only their formulation is descheduled. Mm -hmm. All other psilocybin and all other mushrooms remain schedule one. It doesn't mean that anyone, like that your mushrooms that you have at home are legal. They'll, they'll, they'll still go arrest you while letting pharma sell the item that they just got approved through the FDA. And so that is the system. And that is why corporate and that's how the government and corporations or anything keep that system going. And that's what's happening. Then you have states models outside of that. But the reality is, is like eventually, like, how is that? Like there's going to, it, the state model isn't federally legal. Right. And so it's really complicated. And so what's happening is you're getting this, like the cannabis ish style states type stuff starting to happen and early stuff. And you have the people really passionate about 
helping people and who or have had issues themselves and use these items. I had back surgery with cannabis and other issues. And so I've been a medical candidate and other issues. So I've and PTSD. So I had used cannabis since 2002 and had a medical card. Uh, and that's why I then got into testing. And that's why. I, and so it's been something I've been and was an activist in that, just like with psychedelics. Now it's I had issues with PTSD and trauma and depression. And so I and uh, then from the back surgery had used too many opiates. It was all within the mm. prescription amounts they gave me, but the amounts they gave me were too fucking much. Excuse my language. And like, like looking back, I mean, 10 no Norco a day prescription with, a, with uh, or sorry, 10 uh, Soma, or not Soma, sorry. Ah, <laughs> no, 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 it was Norco. Norco is the, is the uh, opiate. So yes, 10 Norco, three Soma, three Klonopin. Jesus Christ, are you kidding me? No, that's, so it was like 15 or 16 pills a day. And it was just, and these are like, Whoa. so it's, it's Gab, you know, it's, it's, you know, Clonopin stronger than Xanax. And so those plus the um, opiates, the 10 Norco, three, three and three plus an extra pain breakthrough. And these are all within like the, I think I never took over and then I weaned myself off and made myself, I, think I still have prescriptions. I, I like was like, it's been this many months after my surgery and taper, like no doctor ever told me to, uh, this right. was 2005. Um, and so it's just like when you've experienced that as, I mean, and before that, I don't, but like when you've gone through all of that yourself, like then, and so it makes you passionate about having, helping other people have access to these things so they don't have to do it because those things helped me get off of the pain medications. It wasn't conscious to me to do it for that reason. I was conscious to do it, but psychedelics are why. Uh, and then cannabis helped me immensely get off of it. I had to use lots and lots of uh, RSO and other things to help with the pain at the time and the nerve pain because, like, I was on, oh, I was also on six gabapentin a day <laughs> for the nerve pain. Uh, so, um, cannabis and psychedelics were for the mental side of it as well as for the pain side of it immensely helpful. And then the withdrawal and everything else. So, I weaned myself off and got myself back in healthy but like within six months i was playing soccer again after sur back surgery wow let, let, let me ask you this like sorry this explains why like i do this so Dude, i love it it's <laughs> an awesome story and it, it does it some of the most interesting people that i talk to are people that have gone through tragic experiences and found their own way to heal themselves and like that's what i'm hearing is like Jesus Christ, I think the doctors were trying to kill you with all those drugs. Like that's so crazy to me. But well, you have one you have one doctor trying to treat the depression from multiple right. years of horrific injuries and right. trauma and other things, and then you have the doctor prescribing the pain medications and you're telling them both about each other. <laughs> and the pharmacist is giving you both drugs. And I'm like it was this way. I was like I was still working, I was working at the newspaper at the time. So I remember like sitting at a desk like I don't remember. Like, there's newspapers that, like, I have copies of them. I don't remember doing that. <laughs> now, now the, bats are, the bats are even more relevant. And it was in Barstow. It was in Barstow at that time. So I was in backcountry. So, yeah. No, I mean, it's, I, I eventually had to take disability because I was just like, I am too high to be driving. Right. <laughs> and this isn't psychedelic cannabis. This is the pain meds and everything else. Right. Like, I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. And then, like, had the surgery and like forced myself off everything. And, and then I've never been on another medication since then. Okay. Let me ask you this one. So <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's, that's like literally, no, I've never, I, 
I, I treat myself like besides, you know, I got vaccinated and things like that, but um, I generally do everything I can using natural medicines and have been able to avoid like, I mean, unless like knock on wood, I like get a car accident, but you know, <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> I would too. Okay. So let me ask you this one. So, you know, there's a lot of interesting literature and case studies out there about psilocybin, psychedelics, and PTSD. And some of them you read, they're pretty miraculous. It's like you can read case studies of people who may have had like two or three sessions and they say that they feel as if they're completely cured of that. And I'm wondering from someone, you had mentioned that you had PTSD and you also I, suffered. Um, sorry, I just, I agree. No, I was like, sorry, I was just like, uh, I would say it does, but the problem is, is you feel like it does, but like eventually it surfaces again the way, like right. to me, like I, it's hard to me to say that you're ever cured. healed or cured. Yeah. Uh, right. It's maybe some people are uh, for me, it's more like a cup <laughs> and like every, and like, well, like uh, the uh, tension or whatever, like everything that's going on or the, the symptoms, like, it's like you suppress them, but over time there's a cup of water and eventually life or things will fill that cup up. And there's things you can do like meditation or, you know, another things that can reduce that. Uh, but you can't always dump it out faster than it fills up. And sometimes then you have breakthrough symptoms. And uh, I think, you know, and psychedelics help like dump the cup out. Essentially. It's not like, like, like pouring a little bit out. It's like, nah. <laughs> and, but then like life still happens. And so it's right. still like, it doesn't stop. But I think that's where like, to me, a lot of that stuff is, I try not to be so cured or like, cause I don't necessarily, right. it's hard, to, at least in my experience that it ever is gone. <laughs> Language is important. And if you find the right way to explain something, you're better, you're better able to find language that helps you deal with that thing. At least in my opinion, like if you, whether it's a cup or it's a window that's dirty that you're cleaning or, you know, everybody should have, maybe that's part of healing is finding your own language to describe the ailment. Once you do that, you can find your path forward. It seems like I'm curious as if like, what, what were, were some of the problems curing? I'm sorry. That's a horrible word. Were some of the problems treating the PTSD more difficult than getting over the addiction to the pills or like the, getting rid of the pain? Were those two things similar? Were those two types of pains and those two types of ailments similar using psychedelics to get away from? And those two things would be PTSD and then the, the pain from the drugs or maybe the addiction to the drugs. Well, the underlying issues with trauma and the things that cause you to get hurt end up being what makes it harder to get off of the pills and what also makes the the men you know and the ptsd is the underlying ptsd and so there's and the psychedelics really help with that making trauma. you deal with that part of it yeah. um but or not making uh, and and so it makes you aware of and think about and deal with it but it also makes it easier to because you hide it from yourself and so it more of surfaces things. But the other thing I tell people is like, yes, bad, what people consider bad trips can be helpful. And I do think that, but there's this obsession in the psychedelic space people that that's a good thing. And it's a good thing when you can deal with it, when you have support, when 
because when it can't is when a, a, is that those situations then can lead to traumatization mm. and lead to trauma because people can get basically it's to me is like um uh oh god my brain right now but the it's like a whenever people get trapped it, night terrors right so night terrors can can create traumatizing experiences for people and you can get trapped in it and you can't move so you can't get out of it and you sit there and it's because you're asleep technically it's like having an awake a dream where you're fake like awake uh and you can't move you're paralyzed because your body's asleep and so to me psychedelics are that can be that because you can awaken and uh, uh surface this trauma and if you haven't been trained to deal with it yourself or develop the co-communisms to be able to deal with it while and dealing with it while doing that and then or have someone who can help you do that at the same time then you can be just scaring yourself and inflicting more trauma do you think people like need to be read like so it sounds you need that experience you need to be scared but you need to be supported (laughs) right and and i'm curious if you think if you think that people need to be ready to face those demons when they take like if they want to get over their trauma just like in regular therapy, you know, there's a saying that says you, you can't get up until you hit rock bottom because you don't really want that help until you've hit a spot where you ask for help. And I'm wondering in the psychedelic based sort of, um, you know, when, 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 when people use psychedelics to treat trauma, especially some psychosomatic trauma or some, some real trauma that happened to them, be it, you know, a sexual trauma or, Maybe people will have PTSD from being at war or something like that. Do you think that maybe people need to have some sort of understanding of what's going to happen? Like, hey, in this particular trip, in this particular therapy, you are going to get the opportunity to face those demons again. Are you ready for that? Should there be some sort of questionnaire or some sort of pre therapy before someone goes in well, therapy? yes so i have rules for myself like yeah. based on this like that i do it myself and this is what i tell people right. all the time it's like you like if the even if you're even if i'm i know that things will surface it's like i don't do it if or these rules like if you're having incredibly if something is traumatic is happening you don't fucking do it yeah you don't do it like if something is drastically changing in your life if something like you don't do it in the midst of the thing. <laughs> you do it <laughs> maybe if you know something is coming, you can prepare for it with something right. like that in the calm before the storm. Right. Or, <laughs> excuse me. Or after. But uh, typically, like that seems like a bad because you're unsteady. You need to be steady because you're going to make yourself unsteady. And so if you aren't at least somewhat balanced before that, then you're just going to be completely taken off your off your foundation. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I hear a lot of people talk about set and setting, but I don't really ever hear people say what you just said before that. Like you hear set and setting all the you time. You are part of that. <laughs> <laughs> you are part of the set and you are part of the setting. Yeah, it's just I don't think people will think of it that way, and because it is, it's what's happening in your life, who is going to be around you, yeah. and where, and all of it matters. But you and what has been happening in you at that moment is very important because you don't know what's going to surface. You have a pretty, you might have ideas, mm-hmm. but often with trauma, you have a lot that you've buried. Hence the trauma, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Or well, just people don't think of it because they it's married. <laughs> or <laughs> yeah, even just like a stroke victim loses the ability or maybe loses some connections where you know there's been plenty of cases where people get a stroke and then they have to teach themselves how to talk again. And it's theorized that maybe those connections in the brains have been severed when that stroke happened. And I think a lot of that similar type of trauma happens to people who block stuff out. It's like they block that connection. And I think psychedelics, they reestablish, maybe not that exact same connection, but a similar connection to it. So you can't not not think about it. Like that is probably going to come, these things that you have very neatly compartmentalized so you don't have to think about them. It breaks down the walls. Yeah. It breaks down the walls and it's thought loops is what we call it. Like a lot of people okay. I know call it. And it creates thought loops where you're reliving that experience that traumatized yeah. you because you're like, what should I have done different? Or it's a mistake you've made in your life. So a lot of, there's two, there's two parts. So the good part of it to me is when it's not the past trauma where it is, because here's the thing is you can also then sometimes take yourself out of it and be like, yeah, that happened. And when you become aware that it's, the other thing is to always be aware that what you're experiencing isn't real. It's real and it's not real. Nothing when you're taking psychedelics is real and nothing can physically hurt you. Nothing can mentally hurt you if you are aware of it and know that it is not real. And the problem is that those walls are dissolved. And so reality and your subconscious are And so, which is how... Which is helpful because that's what you want because to you are trying to work with your subconscious and remove those problems. So you need that. But at the same time, then you still like that's that's happening. And so once that happens, you have to be able to deal with it. Otherwise, you just get that it can get worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I have I have in my life, I have I have found I really like that term thought loops and it it makes me. I would add to it that there's sort of a time dilation to those thoughts. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can relive that moment slowed down or you can relive it super fast or you can relive it from standing in a different side, a third person point of view. Well, exactly. And that's where you can go and see you. Yeah. <laughs> How is that? That's super helpful, right? Like when you can see it, be like, oh, that guy's a dummy. Hey, that's me. I'm a dummy. <laughs> Because you, cause the ego gets us off. So the you is it. So you can see it without being you. Yeah. It's just weird to say out loud, but it's exactly what it is. It's remove. It's being objective because the fear and everything else and the emotion and the memories have created these walls around it. And that if you can objectively look at it and with the trauma, be like, whatever is causing the trauma. Like, yeah, that was a bad experience and that happened, but it's over and I am over here now. Mm -hmm. Do you think that once, so first off, it's really refreshing to talk to somebody who's had a lot of these experiences. Thank you for <laughs> having the courage to go through them and then talk about it and, and doing the things you're doing. I, I'm really enjoying this. And I'm, I'm curious if you find that once you have solved a big trauma in your life, whether it was PTSD or maybe it was a relationship problem you had with a parent or a loved one, or maybe something happened to you. Do you find that even after you have had a psychedelic experience or maybe a series of them and you've worked through that problem that now you can begin to see your life differently even without the psychedelics? Yeah, uh, definitely. I don't, the, that's the point. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right, right. I mean, uh, the psych, it shouldn't be something. And the whole point of doing this is to change what you're doing. Right. Uh, or, or to change something. I mean, I, 
at least until the cup fills back up. Yeah, right? well, yeah, well, or it does, and then it's like, well, that's the thing is, I don't do it until there is like sometimes it just needs to be a release, and there isn't yeah. like something that's that I can't even put a finger on. It's just things build up, and like there's no. But then, like you start, what happens to me is like those things are happening, and then I start remembering, or triggers start happening easier, and so it's like basically at that point, like whenever a splash of water happens, like it like it splashes out. Yeah, <laughs> like it's like, hey, hey, hey. and so then it drips on other people. I'm like, oh fuck, yeah. <laughs> oh fuck, yeah, I shit, I got, oh fuck, I got to keep that to myself. Put all <laughs> over that person right there. Whoops, let me get that for you. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny. Well, and that's and so it's like, and so sometimes like that's just you know something you have to be aware of, uh, and it's like, but life happens, and you can't. Yeah. Also, it's like if I can't set aside a whole 24 hour period minimum where nothing where my wife can't take care of our dog and I can't leave and go do whatever, where I'm not going to need to drive where I don't know I can have someone to take care of me. Something happens where like all of the things I need to do, where I have food set up beforehand, where I have like all of those things are planned. If I can't do all of the things I need to do to make sure that I'm safe and protected and in that environment and my life is in that way, then I won't do it. And if I have all that set up and then something happens, I cancel it. And that, like, and so like you, and that's one of those things where like, as you do these things, I feel like you develop these rules and it's different for everybody, but it's, or it should the people I hope develop it because and I think that's the part of the problem is it's not that I think that using substances for recreation is bad because I don't think anyone should whatever but I just want people to be aware that you could do something for what you think is fun and then all of a sudden you're reliving a past uh, experience that you didn't even know you had yeah that happens all the time you know and I think that maybe one way to get I think one way to explain which isn't bad because it can heal somebody accidentally too or but like you just it's I, if you don't know what's coming it's jarring <laughs> yeah yeah and you know i i think that what you had described is like the ritualistic nature of it i think the ritual part of it is important when you when you're gonna do something that can be life-affirming or life-changing or is going to deal with a problem it should be treated with like a ritual even if the ritual if a recreational dose you can still have a, like a ritual with your friend where you sit down and talk about it for a minute or you plan things out or you have some things going on. But I think that this idea of the ritualistic nature is just a way of confirming the importance of it and giving respect to it because it is a powerful thing. It can change the way in which you're going to react with yourself and the people and the environment around you. So I, I think there's an important ritual quality that people who get involved with them should respect on that level. Would, would you say that's accurate? I mean, I think it'll happen whether they intend to or not, <laughs> but, but, but yes, um, it's still, well, it's, it's these, these odd things that I find that people do. It, well, as use expands, there's so many different cases or ways of using right. it. So I don't want to tell people they're wrong. And that's why it's more of just like, you'll end up developing your own of these without intending to. It's, that's just funny. And it's like, what I find is like in the group that you, work with on these things that you'll end up having your own words for the thought loops or the this or the that yeah as the experience happens it's like and when i've done this with military veterans and other people like it's nice is that like uh, because of that you're, you're bonded to these people you are 
from the experience because you're all you're all talking about the worst things that ever happened to you and <laughs> a lot of the time and like it's stuff that you can't talk about usually and so then all of a sudden you're like it comes up and then you're like Bruh. but then and but like everybody oh sorry but no but everybody is there is ha why does it keep everybody that's had that experience has had that happen has had something traumatic happen and so it doesn't uh make any of those people uncomfortable comfortable and sometimes it does and sometimes somebody's trauma will tr can in reliving of it can make somebody in the group not not comfortable and so that's the other reason why i think group therapy is important for these things so it allows like a group of people with different experiences to support each other but then also to like break into smaller groups because sometimes this person needs to be alone for a minute but watched and this person needs like three people talking to them to make them feel safe and then by talking to them those people feel better because they're supporting that person. And then, right. and then the group comes together and sits around the fire and talks about what they all talked about. And then like, it's not like this one thing it's, right. it is, but it isn't. Right. It makes sense. Yeah. I'm with you. There's different roles. People different play. There's, there's different roles that people play that they may not even know are therapeutic or they may not even know are part of the actual psychedelic act. You know, I've sat down with lots of people before and, that I wasn't even tripping, but I felt like it was more of a psychedelic experience for me than them. You know, like being oh. the support person is very therapeutic. Yeah. And it feels good to help other people, but then you talk about your things because it helps them. Yeah. And so you end up doing it too. Like whether you intend to or not. Uh, and, you know, and then how can you not feel better whenever you see somebody go through that experience? Yeah. It's, and then, and then we're right back to being bonded even tighter with that person. Even, you know, you, you, there's this idea of shared sacrifice and shared experience in the psychedelic trip or any sort of, any sort of extreme moment. I think that you come upon this idea of shared sacrifice, but what really, for me anyways, what really makes it different in the psychedelic experience is that language fails sometimes. And you know, if you and I have have if you and I have done like just some, let's say we've both done like a crazy amount of mushrooms, and there's sometimes you like you can't bring stuff back, but it's really helpful to sit with somebody who's seen it. It's like seeing a car accident or seeing a train wreck or seeing a trauma. Like we can't really explain it, or we may. I see call it, it a dream. It's like once the the moment when you're coming out of you know when you wake up in the morning, you yeah. you're like oh that dream, and then buy your first cup of coffee, like whoa. <laughs> but if yeah. so dream journaling so that's something else like yeah. if you is write things down or like you said having someone else who can because if yeah. they tell you what you were saying then you're like oh yeah and then it, right. like and so t like when you first come out like of experiences like that's why again having someone there and because it's not just the drug <laughs> like you need to do things you need yeah. you, it like you need to do something and part of that is saying what happened and talking about it. And if you're alone, you can't really do that. <laughs> yeah. Even if you're journaling, like it's, I still don't think you can get the, the most out of it if you do it. And, and maybe that's why there's so many ceremonial settings of different types of psychedelics. Maybe there, obviously there's ways that really help you as an individual. And I, I'm not opposed to doing it that way. I do it quite a bit that way. 
However, I do think that there are a lot of benefits to a group setting where you can talk about it and you can be with people. Maybe, and you can help out younger people and you can get advice from people who are more experienced than you. Oh, and I've dealt with things myself where I've done it alone. And of course, like, but but no, exactly. There's just something different about a group, right? Yeah, and there's you know that that might that may be something we find in the future too. Is you know it seems that for this particular type of ailment, you got this is a journey. This is the hero's journey. You may got you may have to go it alone for this one. You know, there's not much you can get for a group setting, but for other ailments, you know, I, I think that group settings may. F- Depending on what the problem you're trying to solve is, a group setting may be advantageous versus like a solo setting. But you know what? I'm I, I, like, we probably both. About, yeah, probably both. Maybe one and then the other, right? Maybe, maybe that's I, we don't know what the best protocols are for any conditions yeah. at this point. That's part of what's going on. And in regards to the pain side, is the other thing is that, like, <clears throat> besides dealing with that, is that like, so the phenethylamines, which is the class that MDMA and mescaline are are actually incredibly anti-inflammatory uh, and pain relieving and actually that they're as effective as albuterol for uh, asthma. Wow, <laughs> I didn't know that. It's new new studies. And so they haven't done animal or human trials yet, but they've done animal trials. And so what they've shown is, and they've, they looked at, it's the pharmacore with like the structure of the molecules and they compared mm-hmm. tryptamines to phlenethamines and lysergamides and it's the, it's the phlenethamines that do it. Like, so the really anti-inflammatory, anti-asthma, anti-like joint pain and all that are phlenethylamines. Uh, and so phlenethylamines are incredibly good for asthma and for that and, and for pain and inflammation. So um, it's, uh, I think that, you know, that'll be, so, and anti-cancer in that regard. There's, there, uh, so I think that you'll find a lot of, and we're working on some of that stuff with, uh, with some of those studies in that regard. And then, you know, then you have bufotenin, which is uh, antiviral. So most people don't know that it can kill rabies and herpes. Yeah. And so there's been, and so we're working on, and there's also combinations of peptides that are found in, in the toad as well uh, with the venom that, you know, proteins that make it more effective for antiviral or uh, for different uh, things. And it, it was Chansu is the Chinese name for it, uh, toad venom. And it was actually used with bufotenin and it was actually used to uh, in some trials for COVID as well. Wow. So it's, 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 it's always mesmerizing to me how psychedelics, at least in my experience, have they, they made me begin to understand that maybe all these ideas we think we learn, we're not really learning them. We're just uncovering them. Like, it's just, it's being revealed to us. It's not that we're learning them. It's just like, oh, now you can well, see the answer. So Native Americans have been saying this forever and indigenous people. So like Lafafora, peyote, they prefer us not to use that name. I've been told to use the species name unless you're in ceremony using it for a contain. Like anyway, so, uh, basically like those plants have enough means and using it for pain using it like all those things those are like what they do like they're like yeah uh, and they're like yeah the plants sold this title a thousand years ago yeah yeah guys. <laughs> like oh and um, the other thing is like harmal alkaloids we talked about earlier uh actually restart beta cell growth i don't know so, what does that mean i don't so know the beta so uh, the beta cells are the cells in your pancreas which make insulin oh wow so diabetes is caused by you either are born with a genetic defect of some kind, which causes you your body to either kill or not create insulin 
which is, you know, your beta cells are gone or something happened to them, or you are poisoned, drink too much, poisoned, drugs, poisoned, you poison them until yeah. you kill them off in some way. Um, diet, you can do it too, obesity. There's lots of ways, but basically you just tax your body so bad, your body's like, well, fuck you. Uh, and, and so you get type two diabetes. That's the type one, type two is the difference really. Uh, and so, and some type two still have some beta cells. Uh, um, because of that, because you might not have killed them all yet. Uh, and so, but with, and the Holy Grail has always been, well, like instead of insulin, let's like just fix, like let's fix the problem. Like let's cure it. And, <laughs> and so they found that harming actually restarts beta or harmful alkaloids, a variety of them can actually restart beta cell growth, the only compounds found in history. And so they did huge compound scans and found that. And now they've actually found that there's two or three other compound classes that act on different pathways that were combined with synergistically increase the amount of cells and the length of them even uh, produce more insulin. So we're on the precipice of using this to cure diabetes. And there's actually, again, oh yeah, the, the, the tribes in South America said this for like, said that the plants told them this 5,000 years ago. So... But it's just, that's that's the funny thing to me is almost all of these things, they're like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but it's interesting to start seeing, like you said, so I, it's like, did we find it? Or like you said, we're just rediscovering what's what other people have been trying to tell us and the plants. and <laughs> Yeah, it's in some ways, it, it just, it makes me so excited and so thankful to see how, Maybe we're moving away from this idea of medicine being putting a patch on things to actually finding and treating stuff at the root of it. And isn't it weird that like the – I'm always zook out on language like, hey, let's get to the root of the problem. Well, where do you find roots? In plants? <laughs> well, it's like the cure versus – it's the, the language you use is very important and it's it hard. And it's, I was a writer, so of course I'm like <laughs> – like the other side, it's like, well, and I was in radio. So it's like word choice is all you have. Right. <laughs> That's it. That is the tool. Um, and then you take psychedelics and you're like, I don't know the words to use. <laughs> so it is funny. Um, but no, that's <sighs> language is funny in general. I mean, that's what, I mean, just why do words mean what they mean? Uh, I mean, you wanna, it's, it's so intriguing. And then why, like, and whenever I say something, when I mean something and someone else hears it, like, where do they take that? And so it's interesting to like, think about how, to make sure people understand what we're trying to communicate clearly. Yeah, a great, I think it was Christopher Hitchens who said, he who learns to speak well in front of crowds will never have to sleep or dine alone. Super true, you know what I mean? But that, like that psychedelics in, is, in a way is its own language. Like there's a whole different language that people use for plants. I forgot what the, the, the particular precise language botanists use to describe plants like the ovate ovate leaves they have like their own taxonomy for it or something like that but even when you take psychedelics and you can't find that word or you can't quite explain to someone what that experience was in your mind you're frantically searching to describe it and in doing so you're expanding your vocabulary. You're expanding your concepts. And it takes us all the way back to Terrence McKenna's stoned ape theory and language and communication. And there's so much there that, you know. That well, and biologic biologically, while this is happening, is your brain is literally creating new connections. Yeah. 
and rewiring itself. And so that's why all of this weird shit's going on is because your brain's doing like the normal network is just like, it's like, I, it's almost like those old movies when there was phone switch operators where they had yeah, to plug right. and, and, and then there's the person's are like, <laughs> random, randomly plugging stuff in. And you're just, and, and then everyone's like, who are you? <laughs> and that's, and that is the, and so that's why you're like, you're like, yeah, I don't know that word. Like it's connected to something different right now. <laughs> I see blue when you say that. Yeah. I was <laughs> thinking about that, man. Like this idea of synesthesia, where you, <laughs> especially in the psychedelic realm, like on a high dose of something, all of a sudden, you know, you're starting to process sound in the visual cortex. No. But like when they cut people's brains open, I mean, I hate to get a little gory, but yeah, and but and so when they're doing neuro, when they're doing, if you have a, a tumor in your brain and they can operate on it, it's not going to kill you if they do. They cut your brain open, your head open, and they cut into that little spot. And but as they're doing it, you're awake, and they're pushing different parts of your brain because they have to map your brain because we're not all exactly the same to make sure they don't kill you. And so they do the same thing, and they just do a little bit of electric, and they're like. And you'll think of something or you'll smell something or you'll see color. And it's, it's, it's the same. So it's all of those things are just firing in little signals in our brain. Yep. So yep. it makes sense. I mean, it's weird to like bring us down to like just that, but we like every thought we have is just an electrical impulse. Yeah. And chemical. <laughs> it's like the great equalizer, man. Like, you know, people say <laughs> our, 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 Blood is all red, but maybe our brains all electric is a better way to look at it. You know, <laughs> well, it's like I mean, we're basically just like computers and batteries, <laughs> receivers, maybe too, right? I mean, our hearts are those little hydraulic pumps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty mechanistic when you get down to it. But yeah, there's more there, obviously. But it's like the sum of the parts is obviously greater than the whole. Like, but it's why we don't know yet. I mean, that's the. I mean. The, there's we don't we know more about space than the brain i think hmm they might be the same thing <laughs> <laughs> well i do i doubt consciousness being inside the brain i see us i believe that we are picking up a a, a signal and that our brains are simply antennas mm. and our bodies are powering the antenna and that there's a quantum field of consciousness and the animals plants and people all are depending on the quality of your antenna, picking it up at different strengths. Yeah. I, I do you, I subscribe mm. to the idea that like, you don't come into this world, you come out of it the same way that a banana tree grows bananas. The earth grows people, you know, like we're, we're, just, all, yeah. we're all, it's one body. It was exactly. Yeah. It's just like, that's why I'm like, we're all like, and I think that just like gravity is a field and that exists everywhere, regardless based on mass, there's the same thing with consciousness. But it's not mass, it's something else. And I can't say I know what that is exactly. You were, <laughs> you were back to limiting language. You to describe what the hell is happening. So we just make it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's no one's died and came back uh, like with a book. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> it's really, you know, oh, I have, the, I have the movie out of my brain you can watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, it's it's yeah. fascinating to think about. I, you know, Another road I kind of see happening, I got a niece, uh, my niece Lauren, she's getting ready to, to graduate high school and she's been writing some papers to apply for sports medicine. I think that, and as I was talking to her, I was trying to help her write a good paper 
And I told her, you know, you may want to explore the idea of integrating psychedelics into sports medicine, because I think that it can be a form of optimization. You know, if you can, the same way people meditate, like why wouldn't you as a team go on a retreat and take some, you know, five grams of psilocybin and think about how you want to dominate in basketball and how you can work as a team, how you can come up with strategies to do things that no one's done before, whether I mean, it's an individual sport or a team sport. Aaron Rodgers basically did that. I mean, I can't say it's gone well for him, but <laughs> he he's a unique person. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, but no, like I, I do, I agree. And so there's actually occupational therapists that we that we know that are working on things similarly for that regard. And it's also again they're anti-inflammatory, right? like those and those other ones. So. <clears throat> there could be benefit, a lot of benefits for recovery and things regarding that. So I, I mean, it's, there's just, I, and that's the thing I like, I often find myself pointing to is like the anti-inflammatory and the antiviral and all these, and the anti-cancer and these, uh, because I love the mental health aspect, but there's just right. so much, and the diabetes, there's just so many other ways because other parts of it, because the thing is, is just like cannabinoids, yeah, CB1 and CB2 may be in the brain and my, like CB1 might get you high, but it's also in your stomach and everyone, and that's why you have all of those medical effects that come from the different, you know, not that, and it acts on other receptors, but that's, you know, and psychedelics, that 5-HT2 receptor is also why your capillaries tighten, for example, mm. and dilate and things and different things like that. And so there's all kinds, and, and other things, and so there, because those receptors are all throughout your body. And so they're not just in your brain. And so that's why there's all these different, you know, part of the reason there's all these different effects. Um, and so it's just complicated, but it's also great because like, as it goes on, we're going to keep learning what these things can be used for because, oh man, it's just, there's so, there's so many plants and so many yeah. fungus and so many animals with cannabis. It was, it's, I mean, it's an amazing plant and I love it, but we have like hundreds over here. Yeah. There's so many different ways. I've, I've been, I think all of us in this space that have a real affinity towards psychedelics have all engaged in some sort of self-experimentation. And one of the experiments that I have been doing is when I'll take, when I'll take um, mushrooms, I'll usually take it with a pretty high dose of like a, an orally active HGH sacrolog or something like that. I could put under my tongue. And even though HG people say, Oh, HGH is not orally viable. Fuck you. Part of it is, you know? (laughs) So like there's a, there's a particular thing called MK677 and it's like a pro hormone in a way. And I have found, and this is all subjective because all I have is my notes. I don't have any scans or anything, but I have found that at least in my opinion, it radically increases a lot of the benefits from, from the, strength of the trip to the overall sense of well-being to the tingling sensation throughout my body when i take it with i'll I'll take the hgh about an hour before i take the mushrooms and i feel a real difference in the size of the trip if that makes sense every time i do it versus the time i don't and if you start looking at you know if you take different studies about hgh there's so much right now especially in older men that are taking it and you're seeing the the, the increased levels of testosterone and the increased levels of different neurotransmitters and things of this nature. I think it's it works really well together. And the reason I'm telling everybody is for those of you that are self-experimenting with psychedelics for well-being, I would encourage you on a purely 
on a pure level uh, that you would assume all your own risks that it works and people should try it more often. Like I, I think it's a great combination. And as a self-experimenter and a tinkerer, I like to share that information with other tinkerers. So thanks for letting me do that. Oh, of course. Uh, have you, um, oh gosh, the species name's crazy, but people call it horny goatweed. I've, I've tried some of that. Yes. Icarin is the active compound uh, in that, and you can get it isolated pretty easily now. Right. <laughs> and uh, that's a natural uh, one that people might want to try for similar things as well. Um, it's it's really great for topical inflammation as well. If you, you it's really hard to get across the, the skin barrier though. Mm. <laughs> so it's another. Like, but um, I like literally combine RSO and Icarin with uh, just Dragon Bomb usually, <laughs> like yeah. because the terpenes the camphor and the boreal are helpful for the skin penetration as well as for the other two as well as uh, being helpful for that and the other thing is orally is have you ever taken pepperine i have yes yeah usually before <laughs> yeah it, it helps open up everything right and get the blood bioavailability bio it, it increases the bioavailability of cooker of coumarin and cannabinoids right. and all kinds of drugs so yeah. it's really effective for that for drug bioavailability it makes it uh helps it absorb into the, the body so it's it's an interesting one <laughs> it's a it's mixed almost always now into like if you buy blends of uh of like turmeric and uh ginger they usually mm -hmm. have those two blended with with it as a three-way because they have like a really good combination <laughs> yeah <laughs> i um you know what i've been like i've been a pretty big fan of for the last few years is different types of like um different types of um gosh dang it i can't think of the the uh the names of them but like it'll come to me in a minute when i when i have i take like every three or four days is this one called phenobut and it's like a, it works on the gaba receptors it sort yeah. of opens everything up right there and like if you take too much of it you're definitely gonna get like this phenobut hangover and it pretty much sucks but if you take like a gram and everybody's different and everybody's body, I different, think they're about to control that, aren't they? Probably. It's pretty powerful. Like if I, I could see how people would get pretty messed up on it, but it's, it's incredibly useful. It's incredibly helpful, but I could see yeah. it being a controlled substance. I testified at the world health organization last year or this year, everything's blown together. And, and uh, it was about Kratom that I was speaking oh, on. Yeah. yeah. But I believe that, but may have been one of the synthetics they were looking at. I can't remember. It was either them or the DEA. Too many things blurring together. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, uh, I'll have to Google it later. But yeah, it's it's a little because it's I'm always watching what the government's trying to control. <laughs> yeah, you know what? All the race tams too. Like those used to be pretty easy to find online. But nowadays it's difficult to find this just the different paracetam and aniracetam and all the analogs from that. I, there must have been some sort of breakdown on. Or maybe it's because we're we're in the middle of some sort of. Well, so like, uh, also with, what's it called? Um, uh, the one you take with MDMA, aceto, um, acetylcholine. No, it's not acetylcholine. That's anyway, ingredients, but no, um, N-acetylcysteine, sorry. N-acetylcysteine. Oh, so that was approved as a drug. And so the pharma companies have been pushing the FDA to crack down on the sales of it as a supplement. Oh. And so Amazon blocked the sale of it. And so what's happening is like now the government, like more and more companies are using that to go tell Amazon and their suppliers to stop carrying a lot of the supplements. And it is, some of them are illegal to sell or borderline or questionable. Right. And so, Great. and then, but now there's a pushback from the public about an acetylcysteine. 
uh, with the government. And so there's, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> I don't, there's, the, there's a, it's, it, there's like mandatory product listings for supplements and all there's, there's a fight with ph uh, pharma supplements, psychedelics, kind of like all of these things. There's a, the, the, the lobbies are fine and food, all of these careers, there's right. something's coming. I don't know what's going to come out of it, but there it's a mess. We all know it, but I don't know what, what what's going to happen because of it. Yet. Yeah. That makes, thank you for clarifying that. I, I knew something was, I knew there was a problem because I could see the scarcity of everything. But now that you say that it makes perfect sense for a long time. Those people have been at odds with the supplements and the vitamins and pharma and, you know, just the different sort of plants and stuff like that. It, it totally makes sense to, to see it from that particular angle. You know what? If, if we shift gear, if we downshift or shift into another gear about um, cannabis and psychedelics and how some things may be foreshadowing others, I think we may have both read this article about licensing in Southern California, marijuana licensing in Southern California. And uh, they're talking about, pricing out legacy operators. And I'm, I'm just wondering if you were to look back into your crystal ball and do you think that the licensing arrangement, like, is that the, is that the structure? If psychedelics were to become legal, do you think states would follow the same sort of licensing agreements they did with cannabis with psychedelics? I think what's so I think that people that run state legal cannabis still are at risk to having their whole operations gone when it goes federal. Oh, wow. Why do you think that? Well, because when alcohol was made illegal and after prohibition, only 10% of the people who previously operated in the industry were allowed back into it after prohibition ended and given licenses. And the federal government, when it went federally legal again after, specifically struck down and limited who could get licenses and made it very hard, put up things like million dollar bonds to be able to get a license mm -hmm. to make it. And once you do that, that's what happens because if they're going to make it legal, they're going to do it so their friends and other people can benefit from it. They're not going to do it because we all want it. That's what they're doing. And so that's what's going to happen. And it's the same thing that happened in hemp. And I told everybody that. And like, look what's happened. CBD is not allowed. And once they do it, it's going to be a way that they can control it. Yep. <laughs> you, you can be mad about it, but capitalism is capitalism is capitalism. And you can all say that you love the free market. But whenever it plays out in your government and it plays out in the cost of your drugs and plays out in you not being able to own a business because people with more money can buy it and fucking say that there should be a million dollar regulatory fee. You create that's what that system is. Yeah, that's a that's really it's almost like you've talked about this before. <laughs> I mean, the problem is, is that capitalism is a flawed system and people can say that it's not, but this is exactly what capitalism rots. This is exactly what it is. If you, everything that we talk about, about doing to change it makes it into a socialist system. Yeah. I, I would argue that it's, <laughs> it's socialism at the very top, like it's social, it's socialized well, but for the wrong people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Privatize the profits and socialize the losses. Right. And well, that's the reality of capitalism. Typically you're always externalizing it somewhere. Right. And, and so it's not, I mean, and then until we create a system, we can capture all of these things. Like it's not, which I'm like carbon market. There's lots. I mean, I'm down for a lot of different solutions to make this system work but the reality is it just needs to be that's the thing is like it's hard to talk about psychedelics and cannabis without being like well the whole fucking system is the problem 
Like it's like we like trying to create something special for cannabis and psychedelics while everything else keeps operating in this flawed other way. Like I mean, sorry to the well, no, that's why I always tell people I'm like, and psychedelics and cannabis make you realize it's a flawed fuck system, but then you're like, um, but then you're like, eh, like because then you got to go deal with people who don't take them. <laughs> and, uh, uh, well, I mean, so that's like, uh, how do you bridge? that and so that's my i hate i'm always like the buzzkill like but it's like because in in can in hemp i told everybody when that bill was passed that cbd wasn't approved for food and that all of it was still going to be illegal and it wasn't going to be allowed in food in that bill and it wouldn't be for years i told uh, told everybody that that so did you see that recently this the court ruled that it once if you're extracting hemp and it goes above 0.3 people remediate the thc out that's not legal well, can you explain that for people who may so if you so the farm bill legalized hemp hemp means that it's cannabis below 0.3 thc when you extract hemp you increase the cbd content the thc content if it's 0.3 thc when you start if you're increasing the cbd content it's going to increase the thc content the, and then they then just take out that thc and then call it hemp again the government says no under federal law it's t it's hemp once you extract it, and if that THC level ever goes above 0.3, you cannot. You can take out the THC, but once it becomes above 0.3, it is not hemp. It's marijuana, federally legal, and it cannot go back to being hemp. The only way it can go back to being hemp is if you did that inside of a DEA federal license. And in that, because if you're, so here's the thing is, companies that make, migraine medications or other medications have licenses because they make scheduled substances like LSD on accident, not on accident, but as byproducts in the manufacturer because ergot is the main ingredient for LSD and it's the main ingredient for headache medication. There's a reason why psychedelics work for headaches. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so because of that, you um, basically like there's, this isn't a new system. Like that already exists and has existed since the controlled substance acts existed. And it's like that once, and so if you even for half a second in your processing make another compound, like an LSD compound that then gets converted into a drug that's not that, you still have to have a DEA license or you've committed schedule one drug manufacturing. And there was a federal case where the, all the manufacturers took it to court and it went all the way to the federal court and the federal court was like, you're fucking stupid. No, if you exceed 0.3, it's fucking marijuana. And if you don't have a DEA license, you've committed drug manufacturing, which means every single head manufacturer in this country has committed drug manufacturing for schedule one substances at massive scales. And the statute of limitations is seven years, mm. which means they're all on the hook. So at any wow. point, the federal government can just choose to go in and arrest all of them. And that would be life in prison. Schedule one, right? Every, so every, all the employees and the sales and every company that's ever sold CBD isolate has sold a schedule one substance. Wow. Hmm. Where, and it's on, and the government court has already ruled all these. The federal case has already happened. Like at this point, it's on their discretion to not arrest people. Wow, that's fucking crazy. That no one thinks about no one thinks about the over arc of what that court case meant. Mm. And so, starting January first of this year, you can't even test hemp unless you have a DEA license. Because guess what? If you test it and it goes above point three, what do you have? We have marijuana. 
Wow. So starting January 1st, all labs for hemp have to be DA licensed. No one's getting ready for it. Like, I keep, and I said this when the bill passed, that it was going to be a requirement. No one, it was like, it didn't say that in the bill. I'm like, how are you going to have hemp if it tests hot? You then have marijuana and they can arrest you. So they're not going to let that happen. So you're going to have to have a DA license. I told everyone all this. It's like, it's just how the system was built. You're going to, to process it. You're going to need a DA license and to, to fucking test it. You're going to need a DA license. Only the grower is going to be the only, the manufacturer, once you have an isolated CBD out of that DA license and the grower before are the only steps that won't need DA licenses. So they'll just come in and choose the one person that they want to be the person that can do it. I mean, they can, by getting- you can, like, People could be applying right now. Like, this is what I keep telling you, this what blows my mind. People could be going and getting hemp licenses, getting analytical companies that test hemp right now could just go apply for a DA license, like at five grand. Wow. You just have to follow all the rules. Like it's that's what I mean. It's just people being ignorant and not doing what they. That's why it's like, oh, the government, blah blah blah. No, people just don't fucking listen. Like the rules are written down. People read into it what they want, and that's human nature. Well, yeah, and it's like the, it's it's right fucking there. Like you, and that's the thing is, yes, the, and the government uses our ignorance. So the DEA before at the beginning of the start when they were doing the amounts of drugs to be scheduled and things like that. I pushed for there to be more, uh, but when they started doing it, they were supposed to put the public comment on the website on regulations.gov for comment. They didn't. They never made the comment page live. I wrote them for like a month and they never did. I eventually got regulations.gov and talked to them and they told me, no, they never made it live. All these things, we got proof from all the agencies and then sent it to them. And then they still didn't. And then I put out a press release publicly and said, the DA has done this, 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 this. Here's regulations.gov information. I think well, must be a technical error. And, and then all of a sudden, a week later, they put it, they restarted the comment process and it had six weeks to it. Hmm. Imagine that. Because they had never had, guess what? This wasn't the first time they did that. Or the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth. Because guess what? All these journalists and all these marijuana magazines that write these articles, the DEA is asking for comment about the, about the levels of the drugs to, to manufacture. And not one of them put in a comment or tried to put in a comment to see if the system was live. For years. Because that's how half-assed journalists are. And I am used to, and I am one, and, and so that's what pisses me off is because I know, guess what I did? Oh, I did it, and oh, changed the whole system. Like, by just doing it, because they don't do that now. They make it live every time, because I embarrass them. And that's the only way that you have to, things don't happen if you don't do something. So yeah, they play on us high, they play on the fact that people won't look, be paying attention. Yeah, it's a great point, man. It's 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 embarrassing in some ways it's i'm embarrassed for other journalists <laughs> because it's like i know a bunch of people that wrote articles on that that i know personally and not a one of them caught on to it and i'm like oh yeah as a rule as a journalist for me whenever i wrote an article and my editors told me if you include anything about a website you go to the website and you make sure it works <laughs> And that, I mean, I've been doing that for 20 years. That's been a common fucking rule. And that just what? tells me that the quality of journalists in this country are... <laughs> like, because that's fucking like... And I'm just like, imagine every, how where that iterates into in every... This is just psychedelics. Imagine everything yeah. else in our life. That's what the government does for everything. They do put all the information out. People and people can go comment and change things. 
People just don't. People don't want to go do jury duty. You want to make drugs legal? Do you want to know why alcohol prohibition ended? It didn't end because it was bad. Jury nullification. People went and did jury duty and they refused to convict people for crimes related to alcohol. That's how it ended. The government gave up because they couldn't convict people. Yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> I, I would say it's even for like, it goes even deeper. It comes down to critical thinking and asking questions, right? Like how many people in every field don't challenge authority? How many people don't ask questions? How many people are okay reading the headline instead of the article? But I'm lucky that my mom was a teacher and my mom and I, her best friend's uh, mom marched with Martin Luther King and I was around people like that. And my mom wanted us to ask questions and we talked about things my whole life. She explained things. And then uh, when I was 15, I was working in the polls in 16 mm. for elections uh, by choice because I wanted to know how our system worked. And then I was working at a radio station at 16. And then I was working at newspapers by 18. So it's one of these things where, you, you know, I just uh, very early was like, how does this all work? <laughs> like, how is this government system? What is this thing? Yeah, it's it's crazy to think about the, the walls that are almost made of paper that surround us. That if you're willing to push through your comfort zone or push through some of the boundaries that are up, what you can accomplish or where you can go. It seems almost like we're—I don't know. I, if I put on my—if I put on my uh, my my—I my, don't know which hat you would call it. Maybe my—I don't know. If I put on my tinfoil hat, then I would say that it's almost like we're we're just fucking being blinded by the smallest things in the world that don't matter instead of it's worrying the time machine there you go man there you go right i mean but people probably don't even know what the fuck we meant now though you know i hd wells hd wells everybody <laughs> right the Morlo with the morlocks and i forgot the other one you know and i don't know which one we are are we the guys underground or are we the pretty angels up top you know i I don't know which one's worse, to be honest with you. Both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. You know what? Let me let, if we if we were just to stop talking about psychedelics for a moment and talk about something psychedelic in the news, I got a I got a um debate that I'm gonna moderate about Kanye and Lex and all Ooh. these guys. Have you been paying attention to this? <laughs> which part? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. It, I, oh god. On one level, I'm so blown away that like people are paying attention to like a bill, like a couple billionaires complaining about their lives. Like, how does that affect my life or your life? Like, dude, who cares? Like, you have fucking billions of dollars, and you're gonna worry about some contract law. And I, I, I'm not even sure what to think about it, David. It blows my mind, man. You want to weigh in on any of that? Oh, oh, I have to be careful because yes. uh, I know. Too many people, but um, it's insane to me the amount of well, it's the same way I feel about celebrity. Yes, <laughs> I mean, even take it outside of like money, just like in general, like the things we care, or even professional sports. Even yeah. Yeah, like to get to that, like don't get me wrong, I played soccer my whole life. I love soccer. I mean, I was a sports editor like in a past life. I mean, but um, the fact 
I also have a lot of teachers in my family and seeing the fact that like teachers get paid what they get paid while athletes get paid what they get paid. And it makes it kind of hard to, you know, while the football teams, the universities and the, you know, have, you know, these crazy things and like, and then the people who want to study the sciences, like have to pay their own way. It seems a little crazy. I mean, so like the people who were to cure you once you have the cancer, or the brain injuries from playing that sport, you have to pay for their college while you get a free ride to go hurt yourself. <laughs> I mean, anyway, but uh, so it's, it's like our, our society has a strange valuation system, but I think that's, again, I think that our culture likes to, I think that humanity likes to watch people get hurt. And I think that that's what's, and we like to watch people compete while they do it. And all sports is as gladiators and which is just people not being able to see warfare and killing and hanging before that. And I think that it's just, a, it's all the same shit. And like, we think that we're fucking great because we play sports instead of fucking have people fight to the death in the Coliseum. So as a journalist, <laughs> Bread and circus, right? Like it's nothing's changed in some ways. If you look that's at that's what I mean. I'm like, eh, it's. I mean, I mean, but it is. I mean, is it better? Yeah, but like, but it's also like, why are we still funding that? Because that still is the core of a lot of us, like of of humans. But like, why? Like, why can't we get away from that and the tribalism and into like working together and and like efforts to bridge gaps? And I mean, there are people, but it's not the whole. I've I've actually there's this. Weird, crazy thought while tripping yeah. that people have had is like, are we having different mushrooms fighting each other? Different fungus mm -hmm. fighting each other? The beer fungus and the yeast versus the psilocybin war? I don't know. <laughs> they, well, I think, I think, they're like each controlling us, but in different ways. I think if you planted those two funguses together, you could see how they interact. You know what I mean? And you could kind of see what they're doing to the human condition. If, if, if we go with the premise that you don't come into this world, you come out of it. And then you plant a fungus to see how it acts on the life around it. I think you could draw at least some comparisons to how it acts on the human organism. People will act, act like yeast <laughs> right now, and they spread and colonize, and <laughs> and so I mean, okay, that's I mean, so we, we are we drink alcohol, and so we act like yeast, and we should be eating mushrooms and acting more like mushrooms and turning shit into gold. <laughs> That's the that's like the philosopher's stone. That's alchemy right there, right? Well, yeah. I mean, so that's what's funny is like that's what mushrooms do. But and so it's funny because yeah, we are like a fucking yeast mold growing on top of the world. You know what? If we, if we just go with, if we just go with that thought, it seems that maybe the psychedelic fungus is beginning to win, and like maybe that's the changes you're beginning to see in this world. Is that they're colonizing? Yeah, we're 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 not quite at the fruiting stage yet. You know, we're still colonizing, but it's, it's growing pretty strong. It seems like. it, the the yeast tried to kill it, but it's a few pockets of it stayed alive, and now it's. <laughs> We just went underground. We went underground yeah. for a while. There's a lot of shit now, so. <laughs> That's pretty fucking a lot funny. of shit for them to eat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no shortage of it, without a doubt. So, no, it's funny because it is. It's interesting to see this transition. and I. But I'm also always, like I said, just with the hemp thing and the way things are structured, worried about... We saw a movement like this in the 60s and the 70s, and then we're here we are 60 years later and nothing's changed. So this brings me to a point, like I, I actually got to talk to uh, Dr. Strassman about psychedelics and about schedule one drugs. And I had asked him, do you see what's happening now? 
do you think it's possible things could get shut down today the way they were shut down in the 60s? And he didn't even take a second. He's like, absolutely. He's like, you don't, he's like, there's going to be another Charles Manson. There's going to be another um, Kool-Aid, you know, like that's going to happen. And when it does, be ready because you're going to shut everything down again. He's like, I'm not saying that it's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not going to, I'm not saying it's going to happen next month, but it'll happen again. And when it does happen, you know, if we just look at history, much like you were saying about, you know, licensing and stuff like that, all you got to do is look back at history and see the way in which things unfolded in the past. And those things have already gone through the formality of actually happening. So that might they actually happen again is yes. <laughs> well, and it's, there's a lot that can make it not happen or happen, but Absolutely. can it? Totally. Like, it can definitely, I mean, we were so close in the 60s and the 70s. I wasn't even born, but like there's moments where I just look back and it's like, but that's exactly, uh, you went from that and then Nixon. <laughs> like, like that's Nixon. And then you get fucking everything that came from that which is the CSA and all of like everything we're talking about now. So it's like, right. You know what led to that? The fucking movement against it. The movement to open psychedelics is what fucking crushed it. Because I mean, it's why I'm always like, just be good citizens. Be careful. Even though we shouldn't have to drugs are stupid. Yes. But people accept it. I don't know why. Like, like they cause way more harm, but we, it's like, we have like this, we have to be better than them because it's, you know, it's, it sucks, but but like if if mushrooms cause one tenth of the damage that can that psychic that uh that alcohol or anything does, then we're fucked. <laughs> like I mean, like even if it like heals like a bunch of things and fixes a bunch of things, but causes a little bit of problems, unfortunately, it's going to be really hard uh, for a while. And honestly, I think Oregon's going to be a real good test of that. Yeah. But you're also seeing that most of the counties are just banning it. You're going to end up with, like, basically Portland. It's going to be the Portland Noma plan, basically, not the Oregon plan. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I had thought that maybe the ability to tax it would be its savings grace. I thought that, you know, there would be some sort of... NIMBY. What's that? NIMBY? Not in my backyard. Even if they want it, they don't want it anywhere near them. Hmm. So nobody wants it in their county. They want, even if they want it in Oregon, they don't want it in their city, and they don't want it in their county. Mm. Interesting. No, that's exactly that's the thing. Is even if people think this should exist somewhere, just not here. Mm -hmm. That's the it's problem. Like, it's like low income housing, right? <laughs> that's what I mean by or or safe injection sites or <laughs> yeah. like things that will save people's life, obviously, but. <laughs> Like, it's so bizarre. I mean, I at the same time, I can understand it, but it's just why... It's one of those things where it's like, we're going to have these problems until as a society we adopt these things wholesale, and then it'll be transformative. But, like, you have this situation where, well, yeah, but, okay, well, there's problems with safe injection sites because of what? Well, all those problems can be addressed as well. All the problems with the psychedelic site, all those things, but you, the problem is, is there's underlying other problems which make all of that. Like, it's not the the injection sites and it's not the psychedelics that are the problem those things it's problem it's other things but the finger gets pointed at the symptom yeah just like just like <laughs> it's interesting to see our problems as a whole like if you look at society and you see the problems as a whole and then like that's on the grand scale but then you just look at it on a smaller scale like the same problem we have in our society is the same problem we have with medicine and that is that we treat the symptoms instead of treating the disease 
right? Like it's, you can see it on a grand scale and it just plays out on a small scale, whether it's the body of the planet or the body of the human. And if the we could forest just, for the trees. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to see through that, you know? <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, look at the trees. I can't see the forest. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy to think. I, my friend and I always talk about, you know, everybody hears the, the old adage that history doesn't repeat but it rhymes, but I think it moves more in a helical model. Like I like to believe we're moving up through the, through the spiral instead of just coming around and having the repeating the same stuff. And that to me, at least gives me hope that we're, we can learn. So when we got here in the sixties on the last revolution, it exploded before we really solved the problem. But here we are again, moving towards it. And the fact that we're conscious of what happened in the past should at least allow us to think about what we can do this time, right? The problem is, again, that you and I are conscious of it. <laughs> There's many, many, many people in this, and the, we, that's why we're talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> so that way, hopefully, it doesn't happen again because people learn. And I don't want to scare people. Like, it's like, it's, I do, but I don't. It's like, I want to warn you about things that can happen. Like, I don't want people to be afraid, but I don't, right. but it, you need to make the right decisions. It's like, sometimes people think I want people to be afraid. I'm like, no, but these things can happen. Like the, the hemp thing with all, all those things, they could just start arresting people. Like if some conservative group got in that really hated cannabis and decided to change and there was enough people that somehow something happened in our country and there was a pushback, it could decidedly happen. I could see cannabis and psychedelics both being completely criminalized again really easily in the next 10 years. Yeah, it and, could be a scapegoat. You know, they could just say for, look at all these problems happening, it's the drugs. Well, and the other thing is, is they'll just let the medical trials go through and only allow, I mean, THC go. has been approved for 30 years as, a, as um, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, Trinabinol, which is, mm. is synthetic THC. You could have, there's been a prescription available from the FDA for, for it for years. And now there's CBD epidiolex, but CBD still isn't from a plant like besides epidiolex still can't be taken safely as a, uh, or it claims the FDA and for a safe amount in food or supplement, but they allow that drug company to do it. So like that, I mean, that's the thing. And so the real thing is that pharma wants it to be that way. And so, and that's industry. And so you have companies like ours who are trying to uh, change that model uh, and that's why I created the company is like that we're, as we are doing this research is to make other companies do sliding scale pricing and give away medication to, uh, low income people and do things like that whenever we create the IP and then license it to groups that way it drives costs down and gives in, uh, benefits to indigenous groups as we're developing the things. And so that's the structure. And the reason why I ended up creating a company is because all the things we're talking about. The reality is, is that you can push government change. You can do all these things, but if you don't create a company and do the work yourself in a different way, you can keep talking about telling someone else to do it <laughs> <laughs> about how pharma should be different, <laughs> but like someone has to do it. Uh, and so that's like, sometimes it's like insane to be like creating a pharma, you know, trying to do pharma and study these things while talking shit about people who study these things and pharma, but, but it's, <laughs> so it's, it's like, it's basically, it's like the realization that like you have to participate just like in government yeah. or only the bad people do. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. I have you, do, do you think that there was, it seems 
on this go around that a lot of people are using the idea of religion and sacraments in a way that they maybe didn't do in the 60s. So that's, well, I have done the same thing. I have a church that is incorporated in Washington state and uh, because it's something that I, I mean, I wrote this 20 years ago when I, <laughs> it's just something I've been doing for a long time, but I just incorporated it. Uh, and, and it's because of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Uh, and so peyote, la favora um, is, you know, used by Native Americans. In the 90s, there were two Native Americans who were also drug treatment uh, uh, counselors, and they were ironically arrested for peyote or no, 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 they weren't arrested. Sorry. They were denied. They were fired for using peyote and they, uh, took, went to court to sue for, for, for the religion and use because that, and they won in Oregon and the Supreme court of Oregon agreed, I believe. And then the state challenged that to the Supreme court and the Supreme court ruled in favor of the state against the state Supreme court saying that it was legal to discriminate based on their use of peyote because the law wasn't directed at religion. It was equally uh, applied to everyone, regardless of religion. So, and then because of that, everyone got pissed and they created the uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which changed that. However, then later the Supreme Court struck that down uh, in terms of it only applies to federal decisions. It doesn't apply to state decisions. And, um, and so, but that basically says that they have to, uh, it provides more protection for religions, uh, for a lot of things. And part of that was then in 2000, I believe, uh, there's a groups that were Santo Daime and Union de Vegetal, which are two churches that are Christian in nature that are uh, also use ayahuasca, uh, similar to, uh, the Native American church typically in the United States using peyote and combining uh, traditional indigenous and Christian beliefs, but it, the people in South America and those different areas, just to give context. And they, uh, so they were, they had shipments seized and people arrested. And so they took it to the Supreme, they took the DA to the court and uh, it was stayed because they were winning. So it never actually fully finished, but basically the Supreme Court ruled that like they, put a stay on it saying that they had the right to import the things. And um, basically since then it's been held up and that said now the DA has actually created an entire licensing program for giving licenses to religions, but they haven't given any really. And so there's been, so the churches are suing them now based on it. There's actually the Yahai assembly in Arizona is in a case with them right now. It was actually supposed to be settled. They were working on settling it, but then that case got pushed back and they couldn't reach a settlement. And so now, by mon yeah by Monday the uh, there's has to be a response final response on that and then the judge will rule so we'll see what happens uh, and that will be about that their freedom of religion case um, because the DA hasn't given them a license but because of all of that movement and because currently over the last few years when Trump was in office there were all these the justices at the Supreme Court that were placed that are obviously skewed towards religious conservatism uh while like i anyway uh <laughs> you can use that uh you 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 can be upset about what the other side does or or not in the other side or by how life plays out or you can adapt and be like well now 
it you know it's like judo use the other side's weight against them that's right and so oh religion okay then <laughs> so this is how we do it and though so new hampshire there was a supreme court case in the state of new hampshire where the they ruled that psilocybin is protected under their for religious use there and then uh i believe that you know, there's there's actually churches in, that are in Washington State and in Oregon, and that were the ones that were involved in the original Santo Domingo and the Vegetal cases. And so, for, and some of them uh, have, have gotten actually have got a couple have DEA permits, I believe now, and then some of them are operating outside of it um, and going to court uh, with the DEA. There's a really interesting paper. If anyone goes to Google Scholar and puts in the words "bubbling ayahuasca," there's a paper. And it's basically a case study on all of the things I just talked about. And it's the history of all of that, but like the case law, the uh, all the names I mentioned, everything. And uh, Bila Bate from Chacruna was one of the authors and then a professor from Washington as well. But it's a, it's one where if you're interested in this, you should, you should read. Thank you for that. That's super awesome. Like, how do you know all this stuff, man? Like, how, how do you stay on top of all that? I've been doing this for like 20 years. Like I said, I started creating like 20 years ago and I was involved with activism with cannabis previously. And I had an experience when I was 18 with the psychedelics that changed my life. And uh, so it's just, I, I've just, and then because of that, I very quickly got into non-appropriative methods of doing these things. And so like biopiracy and looking into that and actually like Nagoya protocol, all these things were stuck. Like, like I, I, something I started like 20 years ago. I don't, I just was like, I don't want to like, it's their thing. Why, like, how, how do I, or, but then there's also the other thing is, so something people should know is there are plants that contain psychedelics all over the world. <laughs> like you don't need to go take ayahuasca in the Amazon. There's DMT containing plants that grow here. There, uh, that are in North America. They're actually called prairie acacia and prairie mimosa because they actually even have the same leaf structure. Uh, um, lepta, oh, I'm going to kill the name, but if you, uh, desmanthus, uh, is, does, is the, I'm making sure, family name, family of the plant is the, would be of that plant species, uh, or the family of it before the species would be, uh, Leptopterus, and you can. There's multiple DMT containing plants that grow from like Ohio to Arizona. Uh, allies waiting to be found. They're empty parking spots in the structure that no one's even parked in yet. <laughs> and hibiscus has MAOIs, and tobacco has MAOIs, and harm. I mean, they're in a lot of plants. You can easily, if you look at harmal alkaloids, you'll find they're in a whole lot more things than people realize. And so it's just, that's one of those things also is the tools are, are, are more readily available than people are aware of. Yeah. In some ways it's almost comical to think that, you know, government organizations want to ban these certain substances because you ban this one. There's like another 50 right over here. You know what I mean? Well, Shulgin talk about something. Yeah. That's a TKL and PKL. If anyone here does the listening, doesn't know TKL and PKL, you probably want to read those books too. Yeah. Talk about a, fire hose of information that is easily accessible for everybody is like standing on the shoulders of giants. You know, when you think about Shulgin and, and just the people that came before us that have written down their ideas and their experiments and their three, four, five plus systems of what they're rated like. And, you know, I, before 
I'm having an absolute blast, Steve. But I wish I had more time to talk to you. Maybe we can come back. Follow up. Yeah, we can do it. I usually end up doing follow ups with people because it usually goes this way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe we can touch on this before we go real fast. Is this idea of religion? Like, I, you know, in the beginning of this Renaissance, we saw a lot of people that would flock to South America or would flock to other parts of the world to have these ceremonies. And sometimes you wonder, like, they're, they're, this particular ceremony, like let's just say an ayahuasca ceremony in Brazil has quickly transformed to an ayahuasca ceremony at the Hilton in Brazil on the beach, you know? And like, I'm just wondering how much is really lost in this translation and how this commercialization has kind of changed the way things are. Wouldn't it be beautiful? And I think you kind of see it happening is if you do see churches up here beginning to adopt their own sort of ceremonies where they can begin to influence and talk to people in a way of religion that is indigenous to them. You know, what do you think about that? Actually, whole little? I think it needs to happen because people need to stop being culturally appropriative. Uh, yeah. So I'm reconnecting to my family roots uh, on this in a variety of ways. I have family in Ireland and also like that I'm connected to and for Irish and Celtic and then also for Norse family. Um, I'm also connecting with my Native American family because, and I've been, and I'm enrolling with the Cherokee tribe currently because my family is, and there's a tradition of mushroom use there. And so it's, and learning about, I'm learning the language and learning the cultures of all of these as I'm doing this and new, uh, you know, uh, Sam Haynes coming up and I will be practicing that. I will be getting mead for those ancestors. I will be doing tobacco offerings on the, for the uh, corn ceremony, which is also this time of year for the Cherokee, I will be uh, because, so for me, it's been finding my ancestors practices and trying to do those. Uh, and for everyone that's gonna be, and then creating, also then also create your own is like of the faith is me trying to merge all three of those into one thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, that's what I'm, I saw, I mean, that's what I'm trying to do. And I, I think it will help alleviate a lot of the cultural appropriation of Native American culture regarding peyote here or ayahuasca and the different tribes there. Because if you're there or if they invite you or they think it's, it's different than if you're doing that here. And the compounds, again, are in lots of different places. So there's lots of different ways to do this. And I'm not saying that anyone doing something is wrong. It's just that if you're involving a cultural item, you should be doing it with the cultural people. And when they say. <laughs> yeah. yeah they, they, they have years of background for that ceremony to be a certain way. And you, I'm not saying you can't get results, but there's a certain method that they have created that's been happening for generations. And when you take, anytime you take something out of context, you lose the meaning of it in some way, right? If I take a certain sentence out of context, it may be a powerful sentence, but I don't get the background. And so I think the same is also true with any sort of experience, not just in language, but experience in life. And I, I think that people could create their own. And that, that's kind of where the magic happens is when you begin to create something that is sacred for you and those yeah. around you. We were talking about ceremony earlier. Inherently, yeah, yeah. you do, yeah. but and I think people should just do those things. Like, yeah. go into nature and go camping with your friends that you're, or your community that you're doing it with. Yeah, like that, and you'll end up making your own. 
<laughs> I promise. Yes. <laughs> I promise you it'll happen whether you want it to or not. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 David, before we go, what what is it? Do you have some things coming up? Where can people find you and what are you excited about? Uh, November 3rd, I'm speaking on a, at the Spokane, at a web uh, seminar on psychedelic law uh, for the Spokane uh, Legal Association. And then on November 15th, I'll be at a, a, in Las Vegas. There's the, I don't know when this is coming out, but the, or will be able for people, but the Remind Conference is uh, MJ BizCon's new psychedelic conference. And I'm one of the advisors for it. And this is the first year. And we've actually gotten five or six Native Americans that will be speaking on different panels, thankfully, this year, which is the only one that I know that's doing that. And this isn't just like speaking on Native issues. They're actually lawyers and different things who are involved in the industries who are speaking on their expertise, but also happen to have that background. Uh, and then they've agreed to give four tickets to Native American students as well, which is incredible. And uh, it's been nice to see a conference be able to start um, living up to some of those ideals. Uh, no offense to any of the other ones, but I know MJ BizCon's been doing some really good work with uh, drug war prisoners and things like that for, for attendance and doing scholarships, which is amazing as well. So I think those are really important that the people of color who have been put in jail are um, given licenses, as no matter how this happens. Yeah, that sounds exciting. I'm looking forward to it. I had noticed on your LinkedIn page that there are a few links to that Remind um, event coming up in Vegas, and it looks like it's really well marketed, and I think you're going to have a lot of success with it. I'm looking forward to hearing the speakers and looking forward to how that Are you going to make it to Vegas? You know? uh, I, I don't know. I, I've got a, I'm a UPS driver, and so Christmas time coming up right here is usually a, uh, a, a sort of psychedelic event in itself. <laughs> I would love to get out there and maybe, maybe not this time, but I plan on coming and doing the, taking the podcast on the road next year and going to multiple events and getting to talk to the participants. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I am forecasting a, a bigger future for the true life podcast and getting to meet cool people like you and, and getting to actually help out with some of the people that are publishing papers. And as we're talking about it real fast, I, I want everyone to know too, I got, I got an event, a couple of events coming up where, I have been monitoring some of the people that are writing papers. There seems to be no shortage of psychedelic events that have been happening around. And one thing that I am aspiring to do is that I am having people come on, present their papers in front of me and a panel of guests, and then push that out to my podcast network of people. Awesome. Yeah, you know, and, you should and, talk to the cannabis, the cannabis science conference would be someone you should talk to. They, uh, they are, they're basically, that's all they do is they have people present papers, their papers at the conferences. And then they did a psychedelic one this year as well. At, uh, just one room of the path of it. Okay. So there's like 10 rooms for different types of science in cannabis. And then they added a psychedelic one this year for one room and they're going to expand it next year. But what's, it's that like that basically you could sit in that place and interview people for the whole time. <laughs> Like that would be heaven for me. I would. There's an East that. Coast one and a West Coast one every year. Okay, and so the Cannabis Science Conference is that what is that what yep. I would look up? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that would be perfect. I it would be. I I did this year, but like, there's just so many good people. Like the people yeah. who did the the COVID and cannabinoid studies were there, for example. Like the the CBD and CBG and CBN and cannabinoids, they and they're actually working on something psychedelics. I'm not supposed to say much, but there's some information on that coming out. So you, I, you'd have fun. See, I'm, I'm, this is what makes me so excited. <laughs> like I, th I feel like we're on the precipice of 
some really good experiments and some really good knowledge is beginning to be reintroduced to us. So I'm so excited for that. And I'm so excited to thank, thanks again, David, for your time. This is really fun. And I may have mentioned it before, but it is really refreshing for me. And I think people that listen to the podcast to get to hear somebody who is not only points towards the direction, but participates in it. So thank you for that, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I just want other people to be able to, uh, dump out that cup of water. <laughs> yeah, great one. That's a great one. Is there if 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 I if you were going to recommend a book to someone, I try to ask this as a as a last question. What is what is a book you would recommend, or is there a good book that you have read recently that you would like to to recommend to people? Aldous Huxley's The Perennial Philosophy. Nice. I mean, that's kind of the basis of my life. So, <laughs> um, the truth is everywhere. That's <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's, well, that's what we, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for spending time with us. Please check out David's website. I'll put his links below. And um, is there anything else that people can reach you at? You have a Twitter handle or is there any other? Um, Panacea Plant Sci, because uh, you can't put the full thing. It's just the our main Twitter handle. But, uh, and then, yeah, we're on Facebook and I, uh, Instagram with the pictures makes it really easy for me to share pictures of science articles. So I'd generally do that because I'm a weirdo and share too much science. So I, I don't know if people will like it or not, but it's what I do. Yeah. And I would recommend everybody listening, reach out to David. He's full of information. He's really helped out in the community and he's somebody you definitely want to keep your eye on. If you enjoy learning and laughing and having a good time, then this is the guy you want to spend some time with. Thank you so much, David. Um, I'm going to shut this down, but maybe you can hang on for a second after this. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, pleasure's all mine.
Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.